as I uh, get myself settled here. The pressure's on this morning. My my uh, my mother's here with us this morning, and uh, what makes it a little more challenging is that she's heard a version of the sermon before. So if if you feel like you need to prod, she starts dozing off, and you feel like you need to prod her. I'd really appreciate that. Now I'm just kind of teasing about that. But before I, I get started, I do want to say uh, one thing, and and that is thank you. Uh, Christine and I have been here, I guess, almost a month now, and we have been overwhelmed with the hospitality, with the food, with the the baby clothes, with the uh, groceries, with the flour, with with the candles and all the gifts and the fellowship and the invites. I, I just cannot tell you how we have just already felt so much a part of this family, and and both of us, actually, all three of us. I uh, would like to thank you for all that. You've been so gracious. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming us like you have. Um, it's meant so much to us. Well, this this is my, my first official sermon, right, with you folks as part of your family. And we're going to be talking about Genesis 32 this morning. We had the first half last week, and this week we'll be covering verses 22 through 32. It's a passage about wrestling crippling and limping. Three words which coincidentally could also be used to describe the volleyball court at the men's retreat this weekend. (laughs) But it is a passage about wrestling. And I guess I want to start with asking you, what are you wrestling with right now? See, I, I, I I know you're wrestling. I'm wrestling. We're, we're fallen people that live in a broken world. And I'm sure if I spoke with you, I would hear a very wide range of different things. Some of you are struggling with your future. You know, what, what college am I going to go to? What am I going to do with my life? Maybe finances. How am I going to pay our mortgage? How am I going to keep my job or find a new one now? Maybe you're wrestling with relationships. Maybe your marriage seems like it's falling apart. Or, or maybe you're wrestling because you're not in a relationship right now and you're wrestling with loneliness. Maybe you're wrestling with sin, trying to overcome an addiction or some other besetting sin that you just can't seem to make progress in. And, and as we all know, some of us are wrestling with disease, whether it's ours or someone that we know and we love uh, very deeply. What are you wrestling with this morning? Maybe for some of us, the better question might be, who are we wrestling with? And maybe, maybe it's mom and dad because they won't give me a, a smartphone, right? Or a professor at a college that just seems to have it in for me because I, I'm a Christian. Or maybe my spouse who seems so distant. Or my boss who's trying to get me fired. Or, or maybe you think yourself. I'm wrestling with myself. Who are you wrestling with? I mean, maybe the better question is for us is what are we really wrestling with? And who are we really wrestling with? I'm, I'm reminded of a, of a short time ago uh, when Christine and I had just moved to Birmingham. We went down to Perdido Key. Uh, a friend of ours had a, a, a beach house there, and I'm, I tend to be an early riser. So one of the things I like to do is there's this little inlet in back of the, the beach house. 
and I get up early enough that it's, you know, there are no dogs barking, there are no boats on the water, and the inlet is just a sea of calm, still glass, and the sun is coming up in the background, and it's just beautiful, just so still and so peaceful, and, and that particular morning I was just struck uh, with the contrast between that calm, still water and my anxious, turbulent heart. I mean, we had a baby on the way, and I had no job. I'd been in seminary for five years and no pastoral position. Uh, I had a family conflict going on on my side, which just couldn't seem to make any progress about. You know, my effort to, to kind of shed some pounds had stalled for the umpteenth time. I mean, I, I, was, I was wrestling. And, you know, Scripture would come to my mind about, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside the still waters. Or that, you know, passage about, the peace that passes all understanding, and I found myself getting very, very, very angry. What was I really wrestling with? Circumstances? People? It's my faith. Who was I really wrestling with? It was the God who my faith was in. I mean, what was going on there? Part of it was I was frustrated because I, I just felt like God was always making my life so difficult, right? I was, I was angry because he wasn't providing for us. I was confused about why he wasn't helping me more with the weight thing. I mean, I was convinced, I was struggling with being convinced that God really didn't care, that he was absent, that he couldn't really be trusted to follow through. Does that sound familiar? Let me ask you, who are you really wrestling with? What are you really wrestling with? I mean, this passage is all about wrestling this morning, about how Jacob wrestled a mysterious nighttime assailant and figured out who he was really wrestling. About how God confronted Jacob by crippling his hip so that his crippling grace could change Jacob's heart about how God gave Jacob a new name so that Jacob left with both a hopeful limp and a new identity. I'm going to read the passage. Before I do, I'm just going to give a short context. Remember last week the context of what we were going here, okay? I mean, Jacob is sweating it, right? Why is he sweating it? Because he's about to come face to face with his brother Esau. Esau, the one who... He basically schemed and cheated out of his birthright and his, and his blessing. And let's not forget what we're told in chapter 27 about Esau. He said, Now Esau hated, hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. This is the brother who... Jacob is getting ready to meet face to face. And, of course, Esau has brought 400 of his closest friends to join them for the family reunion. We see that, that godly prayer, surprising, from Jacob last week, right? But then we see the old Jacob kick into action because right after the prayer, takes matters into his own hands, comes up with his own plan of appeasement, divides his family, gets this horde of camels and goats and cows and sheep and uh, as a gift for his brother, hoping that somehow 
after the family reunion, he'll still be alive after all is said and done. That's the context for the rest of this passage, this chapter. So if you will, would you turn to me with chapter Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed them, blessed him rather. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Please join me in prayer. Father, every time I get up here, I'm just struck with, uh, I just ask myself, what am I doing? Just the responsibility of, of preaching from your word and rightly dividing your truth. And I pray that you would equip me, even now, to do that faithfully. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with me and that nothing would come out of my mouth that would be contradictory to your word or to your character. And I also pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts so that we could hear your truth and apply it and be changed by it. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, here's, here's my first point for this morning. And I'm just going to let you know, just so you know, um, there are four points to the sermon. Okay, this is not typical. Usually we shoot for three. Some are longer than others. Some are shorter. So we're going to get out at the same time. Don't panic. But just so you know, when I hit three and I keep going... You know why. Just, just give you a little heads up. But my first point this morning is admit who you're really wrestling. When we go back to the story, to the passage, I mean, don't, don't lose the suspense here, okay? I mean, if you're Jacob, you're the one living these events. But even if you're Moses' hearers and you're hearing this for the first time, there is a level of suspense involved here. Right, Because what's the question that comes up as soon as you start hearing this, how it unfolds, is who is this man? Right? Who is this guy? I mean, there's Jacob. He sent his family and all his other possessions across the stream. He's there alone in the middle of the night, and suddenly a threatening hand grabs him, and, and they start wrestling. I mean, there's no warning. I mean, this isn't the WWF, right? There's no guy getting on a mic saying, let's get ready to rumble. There's nothing like that. It just comes out of nowhere. And suddenly, Jacob's involved in a, a life and death struggle. I mean, you know, Jacob's thinking, who is this guy? Is this some kind of thief 
or robber? Is this Esau showing up a little early for our date? I mean, what's going on here? And let's not forget this. Jacob is, is not a weakling, okay? He's a strong guy. I mean, this is the guy who back in chapter 29 rolled this huge stone away from the mouth of a well. And whoever this guy is, he's able to hang with Jacob and wrestle with him all night. I mean, who is this guy? Who is this guy that can just touch Jacob's hip and throw it at a joint? Who is this man that Jacob asks him to bless him? You don't just ask anybody to bless you. And you certainly don't have your name changed by just anybody. I mean, who is this man? I mean, we know, reading it, that at some point Jacob figures it out, right? Because we're told in, in verse 30 at the very end that he calls the place Peniel because I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. Jacob at some point recognizes that it is God himself whom he is wrestling. Now, I would say that the reality is is that Jacob has been wrestling with God for all his life. And this is really just a physical, literal reflection of what's been going on all this time, right? Now, I say that partly because we see Jacob's life and all these circumstances and hardships he's had to wrestle through. And the reality is, is that everything Jacob has faced ultimately comes from God. Right? Because everything, every situation, every circumstance, every person that we come across somehow, in a mysterious way, has passed through the divine throne room. I mean, that's, that's what we see in Job, isn't it? Before the devil afflicts Job, before he lays a hand on him, he has to get permission from God to do it. Now, that's hard for us. I mean, to say that everything happens from God's sovereign hand, I mean, imagine, I mean, it's, it's mysterious, there's this outworking, we know there's this outworking of God's sovereign plan, of his purposes, and so we can look and see, well, when, when Jacob was wrestling with Esau, when he was wrestling with Isaac, when he was wrestling with Laban, he was really wrestling with God because those circumstances came from God. They were sovereignly appointed by him, and they were brought by him. That's difficult to think about, and we're going to talk about that a little later. But, you know, part of Jacob's wrestling is also he's wrestled with God's character. I mean, his life story is a testimony of that. It's filled with fraud and deceit and sinful self-reliance and dependence. I mean, it's very clear that Jacob relies more on himself than on God. When push comes to shove, Jacob's taking matters into his own hands. Just look at the last, last week's sermon in that section, right? So all these things highlight the fact that Jacob ultimately wrestle with God's faithfulness, his trustworthiness, his care, his concern. And I guess what I want to ask is, are, are we really all that much different? No, we're not. We ultimately wrestle with God. With his character, with the circumstances he's placed in our lives, every single one of us wrestle with God. And, and recognizing that is, is uncomfortable. Like I said, recognizing God is the ultimate source of our circumstances and our situations, I mean, that raises all kinds of God issues for us, doesn't it? 
I mean, how, how often have we said or heard that phrase, what kind of a God, dot, dot, dot. What kind of a God would allow devastating tsunamis or allow his own people to be uh, raped and murdered and killed and oppressed? Why does God do nothing about the oppression and injustice in the world? And why is he so silent and so distant in the midst of my own pain? Makes us feel uncomfortable. And admitting that we wrestle with God's character creates all kinds of problems because, number one, the list, I mean, isn't wrestling with God a sin? I mean, who are we, as fallen human beings especially, to question the God of the universe? Who am I to challenge how he does things? Who am I to question his character? And then just as a couple of asides, what would my friends think here in our family or our, my pastor? What would they think if they knew I wrestled with God like this? It's hard to admit that. And for some of us, it's hard to admit it because we're not really sure if we admit that and if we engage in that wrestling, if our faith's going to make it. I understand that. It's, it's easier to ignore and to deny the fact that we wrestle with God and just plow through life, isn't it? Fortunately for us, the Bible is much more courageous and much more honest about this than we are. I'm, I think of uh, Job in Job chapter 30, and, and these are Rabino paraphrases, okay? Where Job basically says to God, you have cruelly and unjustly afflicted me. Jeremiah says in, in chapter 15, God, are, are you a deceitful brook like waters that fail? You seem like you're there, but you're really not. Or the psalmist in Psalm 88, God, where are you? Why are you crushing me like this? And of course, there's Habakkuk in chapter 1. God, are you deaf to my cries? Why don't you do something? The Bible is filled with wrestling. I mean, even apostles wrestle with God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. What? Paul? I mean... Can you despair of life itself without wrestling with God at some level? And who is the source of that sentence of death that Paul was wrestling with? Now, we're, okay, we're not going to iron out here this morning, you know, the ins and outs of whether um, it's a sin to wrestle with God. Um, I would suggest, for the record, that not all wrestling with God is, is necessarily sinful. But the reality is, is that most times, because we are fallen people, because we are sinful people, that many times wrapped up in that wrestling is our sinful hearts. But that being said, some of you might be sitting here saying, well then, are you, are you encouraging me to sin by wrestling with God? No, I am not. What I am asking you to do is to come out of hiding. All I'm asking you to do is just to admit what's already going on and to admit 
the sin that's already there and confess it. That's what I'm asking you to do. It's time, brothers and sisters, for us to come out of hiding and to openly admit that we're wrestling with God because whatever we dish out, God can take it. Whatever sin is involved, God will forgive it. And whatever cracks may be exposed in our faith, God will not let go of us. He will not let go. But he might cripple you. That's my second point. If you're going to wrestle with God, expect to be crippled. Doesn't that sound nice? God was going to do a mighty work in Jacob's life. But first, God would have to graciously cripple Jacob to pave the way for his heart to be changed. You see, Jacob is an overcomer, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons why we admire him so much, that tenacity, that persistence, that determination, and yet those very things also reveal Jacob's heart issues, his struggling with unbelief and trust in God and, and how that causes him to rely on himself more than God. I mean, Jacob, the overcomer, is really not in a place to receive a blessing for God because his life kind of is a testimony that he doesn't, he acts like he really doesn't think he needs it. He can get it done on his own. He can just take matters into his own hands. So what does God do? He lovingly takes out the very thing that Jacob relies upon the most, his own strength. With one divine touch to the hip, Jacob suddenly goes from mixing it up with God to clinging on for dear life. He goes from seeking a triumphant win to humbly asking for a blessing. God's crippling grace paved the way for Jacob to confront his own character. Jacob asks for a blessing as he's clinging on to dear life. God responds, what's your name? It's kind of odd. I mean, does God really not know Jacob's name? Well, brothers and sisters, it's, it's been my experience that when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know something, it's because he wants us to know something. He wants Jacob to come face to face with his own heart. So he says, what is your name? And that sets the stage for a climatic outpouring of God's transforming grace. How do you respond when you're presented with opportunities to wrestle with God? Are you like Jacob, the overcomer? Or maybe you might be more like Jacob, the avoider, right? I mean, the avoider does anything they can to avoid wrestling with God because they prefer fleeing the scene and shouting, I'm out of here, rather than confront their own unwillingness to deal with their own fears and their own doubts and their own mess and their own need for control. Maybe you might be more like Jacob the folder. Folders kind of give up before the wrestling match really kicks in. They prefer kind of just to feel, to play the hand they were dealt. Their, their mantra is kind of to sing, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be instead of confronting their own passivity and lack of passion. Or maybe you're more like me. 
Maybe you're more like Jacob the grumbler. See, grumblers, we wrestle with God until he puts our hip out of joint, and then we limp away complaining. God, you play unfair. You, you don't fight fair, God, and you always make things so hard for us. You see, grumblers, they don't live life, they survive life. We choose not to confront our own cynicism and our own bitterness and our own distrust. And lastly, you know, we could go on all day about these kinds of things, but lastly, maybe you're more like Jacob the denier. See, deniers, even when God has them graciously and, love, and lovingly in that, you know, pinned to the wrestling mat, deniers just always say, well, what wrestling? God and I aren't wrestling. And that's, in some sense, that's true. Because deniers really don't wrestle at all. They choose to be content with a potentially shallow or pretend faith rather than confronting their fear that like Aslan, God is good, but he is not safe. Which, which kind of Jacob are you? Maybe you're a combination. I, I kind of draw from all, all of those every now and then. just depends. Which one are you? I mean, in essence, it really doesn't matter which Jacob you are because I can tell you this, God is going to lovingly and graciously cripple you. He's going to ask you your name. And he's going to force you to confront your own heart. Why does God do this? Why does he cripple us? Is he just cruel? Is he bored? He does it because he loves us too much to let us stay where we are. He will do whatever it takes to capture our hearts, to draw us into deeper intimacy with him, to change us, to be more like Christ. Easy for me to say, isn't it? You know, I've been known to do my own wrestling here and there. We were in uh, St. Louis, and I'm using a lot of personal examples today because this is a very personal sermon for me. We were in uh, St. Louis shortly before we moved to Birmingham. Uh, Christine and I were in the middle of a conflict. I know, it's hard for you to believe that, isn't it? <laughs> it's just uh, one of those things, you know? It just takes us by surprise. And, and we're in the, we were in the middle of a conflict, and at one point during that conflict, Christine looks at me and says, you know what? You, your beef is not with me. Again, this is the Rabino translation. You're wrestling with God right now. So you know what? I'm just going to go in the bedroom and leave you two alone. <laughs> she is a very, very wise woman. See, God was crippling me. And when she left, God and I had it out. Probably for the first time since I've been a Christian. It all came out. The accusations, the complaints, the anger, the disappointment, everything came out. I let God have it. I hit him with my best shot. 
And you know, when I was, when I was done spewing my venom, it was almost like I heard a divine sigh. And, and God says something like, finally. Like I didn't know all these things before. Now we can get somewhere. Brothers and, and sisters, God crippled me and he forced me to confront my own heart that day. And he continues to do so. And I can tell you right now that I had a lot to repent for. I said things that I am ashamed and embarrassed to even admit to God that day. But you know what? Something, something broke that day. And I am not the same person that I was after that. And that's the third point. He said, if you wrestle with God, you will be changed. Whether you like it or not. You know, Jacob asked for a blessing, and we don't know what it, what it was that he was asking for exactly. You know, maybe, maybe uh, he deeply wanted a blessing because he was very aware of the fact that every blessing he'd ever received, he had either schemed or lied or cheated somebody to get it. I, I'm not really sure. And we do know that eventually God does give what Jacob wants. He gives him a blessing. But before that, he gives Jacob what he really needs. And that's a new heart and a new identity. I mean, that's why God's changing Jacob's name is so significant in this passage. I mean, I don't know if you know very much about names in the ancient world, but a name is a big deal. I mean, a name signified your identity, who you were. It was some reflection of your character to some degree. So when God gives Jacob a different name, he is essentially declaring that Jacob is a different person. I mean, after Jacob says, I am Jacob, I am the deceiver, I am the supplanter, God essentially says, no, you're not. You were the deceiver and the supplanter, but that's not who you are anymore. That's not, that may be who you used to be, but you are no longer the same person. Today, your name is now Israel because you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You are not the same person. And I say the same to you. You are never the same person after wrestling with God. And that's the whole point of the wrestling in the first place because, I know, here's a newsflash for you. You are not going to take God down and pin him to the mat. Can I just tell you that? He's going to pin you. See, prevailing in this passage doesn't mean that Jacob won. It's obvious he didn't win. With one touch, his hip is out of joint. I mean, God could very easily win. Prevailing means that Jacob held on after he was crippled because he wanted the blessing. Prevailing means that we don't let go until we get the blessing, until he changes us, that we, in wrestling, set our sights on something else other than a win, set our sights on knowing God more deeply and loving Him more deeply and trusting Him and worshiping Him more deeply. Prevailing means that we cherish the limp that we now possess, right? The permanent reminder, the limp of God's amazing grace of how He has and He will change us and how He has graciously given us a new name and a new identity.
I mean, can you imagine the response of Moses' hearers, the Israelites, when they heard this story? I mean, about Jacob getting his own, you know, this new identity, this new name. I mean, it kind of be like, oh, that's why we're called Israel. Striving with God and men, prevailing, got it. That's who we are. That's why my mom never let us eat that meat on the sinew of the hip. I get it now. Right? I mean, that is their identity. I mean, imagine their excitement in realizing that the torch has been passed, like their father Israel, the people Israel, and down the road, the nation Israel. Their identity is that they are called to wrestle with men and with God and to prevail. Now, of course, we know the rest of the story. We know that their history testifies to the fact that they were utterly unable to prevail in their own strength, right? And we also know how that history points us to their need and ours for another to come to do what they could not, Jesus Christ. The one who would wrestle with men and with God and would perfectly prevail. And this is, brings me to my, my final point. As you admit your own wrestling, and as you decide to hit the wrestling mat with everything you got, I want to encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, our supreme God wrestler. When I'm wrestling, it's the cross of Christ that's the ultimate source of hope for me. First of all, because it reminds me that Jesus has prevailed over it all. He has overcome the world and everything in it. I mean, Jesus wrestled with men. He wrestled with men who hated him, who rejected him, who nailed him to the cross, and he wrestled with men who loved him but doubted him and abandoned him in the end. He wrestled with men and he prevailed. He wrestled with Satan, the devil, withstanding his temptations to sin, reversing the curse of the fall, delivering us from the clutches of death and the grave. Jesus wrestled Satan and he prevailed. And Jesus wrestled God. When he wept tears like blood in the garden, wrestling with the task that was set before him, he wrestled with God. It was obedient even unto death. When he screamed out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He screamed that out on the cross. He was wrestling with God, bearing God's infinite and eternal wrath that we deserved, yet faithfully enduring to the end so that he was able to triumphantly declare, it is finished. Jesus wrestled with God and he prevailed. You know, as our great high priest, that encourages me because I know that as our great high priest who's intercessing for, for us and for me, that he knows what it's like to wrestle. And that he knows how difficult it is to prevail and that he is interceding for me and that his Holy Spirit is working in me to give me the hope and the courage and the strength to hold on, not let go, and to prevail myself. That's one way the cross encourages me. Another way is it also reminds me that God is always working even though we may not see or understand how. 
You know, when we're confronted with the sin and the violence and the corruption and the disease and the brokenness and the death and everything else that this world has to offer and the shouts of God doesn't care, God has abandoned me, God is cruel, God can't be just trusted, there is no God. When those things, those shouts ring in your ears and threaten to overcome you, we need to look to Jesus and be reminded that even through the most vile, an unjust and violent act of the Son of God being nailed to the cross and crucified. That even though the apostles couldn't see what was going on or understand it, that somehow God in His sovereignty was mysteriously working out His plans and accomplishing His redemptive purposes, doing immeasurably, immeasurable good and displaying His unfathomable love. I mean, that gives me hope in the midst of my wrestling. Because even though I may be afraid and confused and struggling and doubting, I look to the cross and I see that event and I realize that no matter how bad it is, whatever I'm facing, that somehow deep down I can know that God is somehow using what I'm wrestling with for good. And there's one last thing. cross reminds us that God loves us more than we could ever know and that he will never, ever leave us, even when we feel rejected and abandoned by him. How do we know God loves us more than we ever know? Because while we were God's enemies, while we were sinners dead in our trespasses, while we were children of wrath, when we deserved nothing but death and punishment, God the Father sent his one and only Son to be rejected to be mocked and spit upon, to be beaten, to be whipped, to be nailed to a cross and crucified, to be cursed on a tree and to die for who? For us. How do we know that God will never abandon us? Because in some mysterious way that we will perhaps never understand, or comprehend. In some way, when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, in essence, did this to his son. God turned his back on his only son so that we could know without a doubt that he cannot and will not ever turn his back on us. This tells me that no matter how alone I may feel, no matter how silent God seems to be, he is right there with me. Whether I can sense it or not, he's right there with me in the thick of it. He has not abandoned me. That helps me to wrestle. I finish this morning by, by saying this, you know, why should we have the guts to admit that we're wrestling with God? Why should we risk being crippled and confronted by God? Why should we cling to the hope that with, along with the new limp, we also get a new heart and a new identity? You know, I'll... Let the Apostle Paul answer that, those questions. As I read from Romans 8, 
passage which is very familiar to you. Starting in verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? Is God for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised and is the right hand of God interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, when it comes to wrestling, this is the foundation for all we need to wrestle. And frankly, sometimes... It's the only thing we got. Let's pray together. Father, I just, I just simply ask, I know that there are so many things that my brothers and sisters are wrestling with right now. There's so many things I'm wrestling with. And I pray that you would help us to be honest about where we are, that you would lead us to re repentance, grant us humility, give us a willingness to allow you to cripple that one thing so that we can learn to be more dependent on you and to be changed by you. Just let this, these words and this truth stay with us today and for uh, the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.